Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to Bell the Bell with Bobby Blaze. This is Season 5, Episode 9, and it's brought to you by Private Internet Access. You can stop snooping by your ISP, the government, and other bad actors with a service that I have used for the last eight years. Private Internet Access is available for all platforms, Windows, Mac, OS, Android, everything you can think of, it's available. They have a strict no-logs policy in place. You can use one subscription to protect up to 10 devices at the same time. You get complete digital privacy for less than $3 a month and two extra months for free. Stream what you like from anywhere you like. Use P2P without looking over your shoulder. Try it risk-free for 30 days. TinyURL.com slash Blaze, P-I-A. Try it out today. And I'm Professor Jeremy Vilmer. Joining us now, the star of the show. Bobby Blaze. Stop the chic. Stop the chic. Let me tell you all people something, Professor. It's not the chic that's the problem. It's these goddamn promoters that keep putting them on the show trying to make money using the crazy ass. Me and my brother have to come to Detroit. We have to go to the Tokyo Egg Dome. We've got to go all over the world chasing this crazy man. He's a maniac. The chic must be stopped. I'm fine, Professor. Thank you for asking, brother. <laughs> you know where we're going today? Uh, where are we you know going? Where we're going today? Where? We're going to talk about the original Sheik. Oh, fantastic! Yes. Yes. Um, yes. You know, well, you know, getting ready for the Abby episode, I'd watched a couple Sheik matches against Abby, and uh, even as an old man, he was a crazy bastard. Yes, he was. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I, you know, I was thinking before we come on air, I was thinking, you ever see that movie Platoon? Yeah. And uh, Sergeant Barnes is in there. And, of course, you know, uh, uh, when uh, Charlie Sheen's character, he's down there, and they're down under the bunker, and uh, the one guy, Elias, is down there with them, and they're all partying this and that, and he, he gets a little fight with uh, Charlie Sheen down there in the bunker. uh, uh Tom Berenger, the, the character, you know, that plays uh, Barnes, mm -hmm. the guy just looks at him. You know, the guy's been shot like seven times, had his face scarred, and his neck goes, the only thing I can kill Barnes is Barnes himself. And that's what I think about the Sheik. The only thing I could stop or kill the Sheik would be the Sheik himself, yeah, man. that's probably that's it. Kinda, yeah, because he was just one tough, old, crazy son of a gun, man. Uh, I've watched so many matches just this week. Uh, a couple of them off our YouTube channel. I'll get to that later on. But man, I, I just had a really good time researching, uh, and it wasn't so much research as it was reminiscing for me this week. Right. So. Well, you know, when we're doing things right, that's kind of what our research should be. Is like, yeah. oh God, I haven't watched this in forever. Yeah. <clears throat> and, and I know you're like me in a lot of ways. When we do that, we get a topic. And uh, so far this season, everyone, man, we've been getting really some really rave reviews on the topics. Actually, people we've had, you know, we've mm -hmm. been doing interviews with and, and, and characters we've been talking about in the professional wrestling world. But um, we kind of go from our memory first. You know, we go from that. And then we might, like, I talked to my brother. I talked to you. You probably talked to your brother. You talked to a couple of friends. Like, hey, do you remember the Sheik? And you bring up a story. Then you actually go to the Internet and start doing some research. And that's the way I find it to be best. Uh, just kind of comes uh more natural that way, you know, because you, like you say, you could really live saying, you know, I haven't watched this match forever, but I remember it, you know. Yep. I remember talking to Jeremy about this a few weeks ago or something, you know. Yeah. So it's really cool. It is. So, 
Anyway, why don't you tell us a little about the Sheik, a little bit of his background, his uh, uh, real name that uh, no one ever knew forever because he was one of the most kayfabe guys ever. He never gave an interview and he never spoke in public. I think that's amazing. Talk about staying in character, man, the Sheik. Yeah, well, that is definitely something these guys back then were way better at than people could be nowadays. I mean, just because, you know. But, uh, yeah, the Sheik, or as he was born, Edward George Farhat, Lived from 1926 to 2003. He's a professional wrestler, better known by the ring name, The Sheik, but he's often called the original Sheik to distinguish between him and Sheiky Baby. That way nobody gets confused. Um, He is often credited as one of the creators of the hardcore wrestling style. He was also the promoter of big-time wrestling in Detroit. And younger or semi-younger people may know him best as the uncle of Sabu. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, He started off wrestling in the Chicago area after getting out of the U.S. Army. Uh, Back then, at the start of his career, he often teamed with Gypsy Joe, a guy I'm sure we'll talk about when we get to our most gruesome matches. Yes. So, um, and I'm pretty sure that when he came through this area, he was on a show with Gypsy Joe. And I'll talk about that a little bit later on too, for one of the first times I got to see him in person. The thing I found about that was I didn't know he served in the U S army. Mm-hmm. We had um, looked at him before on our, uh, uh, regional heels and some other matches, like you said, following him under when he's looking up Abby last week and stuff. I was surprised. And, um, that, that's pretty awesome, man. They, you know, got out of the army and started a gimmick like that. Yeah. That's, that's pretty damn good. Well, and you gotta, you gotta, figure he would have been 18 in 1944 right at the very mm-hmm. tail end of world war ii so yep. and yeah his career started in the mid 50s so you know you're talking just within a few years you know yeah um, really got off the ground in the mid 50s i should say um yeah he he must have just like rocketed to stardom because yeah, yeah he was young in his career during a time when guys didn't really hit their stride till their f- mid 30s yeah, you know, I, I saw an interview years ago, I uh, heard, heard Carl Gotch talking about, he said he thought that uh, uh, a lot of guys between 35 and 45 is when you really were your best as a professional wrestler. Yeah. Uh, you know, you talk about all the amateur background you get, someone like that that makes it to an Olympic type athlete or just a collegiate or high school wrestler, but all that background um, if you did go back through that way, or if you broke in like a young Terry Gordy mentioned with no wrestling background, per se, just being a badass and being a big guy, you know, but nonetheless, by about 22, 23, you start getting four or five years experience there. Um, then you get hopefully in some kind of territory, which all these guys we talked about have been through. And they learn to work. They work with one guy, one night, another guy, another, and they keep learning. They've got another 10 years. It's almost kind of like, mm-hmm. what you know, to tell you like what Vince did in the eighties, you know, he, got some of the best guys from each territory but all those guys when it comes to mind like uh ted dibiase been wrestling for years you know and um got to wrestle with all these people he's got like 10 15 years experience so you're you're a guy 35 now and you get a good 10 year run out of that that's when you can make some good money you know that's that's pretty wild man of course Sheik stayed on way longer than past 35 and 45 he he stayed out there a long damn time but point being i think there you do hit a stride i heard that you know it takes about eight or nine years to really start making some money in the wrestling business that took me about nine years to be honest with you because you know you might make fifty dollars here and a hundred dollars here little things like that but there's a lot of ten dollar payoffs and uh sometimes you just you know you're doing a show for experience or whatever but uh, the more experience you get and you know the more over you get the more that promoter is willing to put some money into you and promote you and put you on those cards you do start making some money at that point so uh that that makes good sense man 
Oh, yeah. And when, you know, like you're kind of touching on there. So even if you come in with like a great wrestling background, you still got to learn showmanship. You still got to oh, learn yeah. how to work with the other guys. You know, you, you got to there's a lot. There's a lot of moving parts, even if you come in as one of the greatest wrestlers of all time, you know. Yeah, and that, here's the comparison, too. Think about this. I mentioned Gotch this thing. He thought that that was the the best for a wrestler, his prime years, 35 to 45. And, and not to make a dig at Carl, but, you know, he really never learned to, to do the showmanship. He right. He just to shoot, shoot, shoot. Versus a guy like Jerry the King Lawler or versus the Sheik. Those guys were showmanship, you yes. know. Uh, Jerry Lawler, one of the best showmanship wrestlers of all time. And the Sheik, he was a gimmick. You know, he he had that hardcore gimmick, and uh, he knew how to get that over. Hell, he probably didn't know how to wrestle at all, you know, truth be known. I mean, I'm you know, not making a dig at him, just well, saying. Well, you know what? He, I, he, he probably was just, just that crazy, um, good amateur wrestler, probably a good street fighter, but just knew how to convert that to showmanship. Yeah, well, and that was kind of the thing. So maybe I didn't look in the right places. I couldn't find out who trained him. I don't think he had anyone trained him and also found this to be true. Uh, Bobby Heenan and Cornette was talking about it. If you look back at all those matches, he never took any big bumps. He mm-hmm. never took any big bumps. Um, he took he took little bumps. He did all the hard stuff. Don't get me wrong. He did not take anything away from his career. But if you look at it, man, even with Andre, Andre's not picking him up and slamming him. You know, Abby's not picking him up and slamming him, doing big squash, uh, splashes on him or whatever. Uh, there, he's just, he's just bumping around the ring and moving. He keeps moving too, though. If you watch that, he's always moving no matter what he's doing. Yeah. So yeah, I don't know. They one did train him. That'd be interesting. If someone sends us in some information about that, that'd be great. But I think he went like right from the army, maybe had a little job here or there or something, but basically started a business, big time wrestling, which you're going to tell us about in a little bit. But, uh, uh, yeah, I think he just kind of found a gimmick and stayed with it, man. Something to, to the American dream, if you will. That's right. Well, uh, as we get started here again, we're going to do this as a top 10 list, but it's really just the way we structured it. But Bobby, if somebody does want to tell us something, what's the easiest way to get a hold of us? The easiest way to get a hold of us is on Twitter. Go to the joint account at Bell to Bell Blaze. Jeremy and I both are on that on Twitter. If you want to get a hold of Jeremy, he's at the Geekest Cast on Twitter, and I'm at Bobby Blaze 744. And just drop us a line, send us a DM. And while I'm thinking about that, Jeremy, I got one shout out, man. I oh. think you do too. Um, Davin, thank you very much for the t-shirts from uh, Championship Wrestling from Ontario. First class, man. I can really dig it. I appreciate it, Professor. I hope you like it just as much as I did, man. Well, yeah, I'm, I'm waiting for mine, uh, wink, yeah. wink. Um, you know. <laughs> but, um, you know, also, Davin, get a hold of us. Where can we see some of your matches that you've promoted? I have not been able to find anything yet. So if you got a link or something, let us know about it, okay? Yep. Now, there's also YouTube. Uh, no, I'm sorry. Yeah, there is a YouTube page out there. I'll go ahead and give that now since I said that. I'm going to refer to it several times throughout the show. But that is at uh, tinyurl.com. Uh, BB, BB video. What I was going to say though, cause I get confused when I say YouTube and Facebook, there's a Facebook group out there at Bell to Bell Blaze too. Now I'm not on that. I'm not on Instagram or anything. I messed up Bobby Blaze 744. That's just because that's my social media preference is Twitter. Um, but I encourage you, if you'd like to please go to those other, uh, get involved in a chat in the, in the Bell to Bell Blaze room and on the Facebook page. Um, or again, like I said, the Bell to Bell Blaze on Twitter and we'll interact with you uh, we're pretty good about getting back to everyone yeah we do our best on there also if you go over to anchor.fm slash bell to bell blaze you can leave us a voicemail 
Yeah, I'm looking forward to that. We've still got one that we kind of put in the bag. Uh, Nate, we we got you, brother. We're going we're gonna to work around something. We've just been having some good shows come up, and uh, we're just bumping you back a little bit. But Nate from uh, Wide Men Can't Jump, he sent in a voicemail. We appreciate that very much. Uh, speaking of which, there's a way you can also sponsor us on here. I'm not going to get on here like your Sunday afternoon preacher or anything and start begging for, you know, Brother May loves you or anything out there, people. Just saying um, there is a place you can donate now. 99 cent a month up to I think 4.99 a month to 9.99 a month. Um, but hey, that's for another day. Um, we're not that desperate right now. But if you'd like to, we'd appreciate it very much if you just come by and say hey to us on our Twitter. Again, I'm at Bobby Blaze 744. The professor is at the Geekish Cast, or hit us up the joint account at Bell to Bell Blaze on Twitter. Thank you. All right, so let's All get right. let's get started here, and we're going to start yes. with number ten, the Sheik against Lou Fez. Wow, I can't wait to see his championship match, man. The Sheik is going to fucking wrestle Luthez. <laughs> yeah, Luthez that's... Is a technician. Yeah. And the Sheik is a wild man. The the hooker versus the pencil, uh, I guess. Yeah. is uh, Yeah, so um, Fez had a thing, man, when you put him up against the gimmick. He fucked him up. <laughs> uh, basically, I mean, he'd, he'd, he'd snatch a hold on him and fucking twist on him. And... Uh, the Sheik knew this, but the Sheik was also a great heel. So you know what he knew how to do? Draw <laughs> heat by stalling. Yep. So he went and hit under a bus for the whole match. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, Lou would feed you his head and get you that Greco Roman uh, belly to back suplex and drop a guy on his fucking head, man. Yeah. Uh, not saying he would intentionally try to hurt people, but he'd drop them up high enough to let them know that, hey, you're in a fucking match here. And at least. To say, you know, look, uh, you know, I know a couple people that could block it because you know you put your hand, be, your leg, brother, behind Thez's leg and try to block that. But he was such a good amateur and a shooter and a hooker, like you said, he he just drop anywhere he wanted to. But Sheik, uh, he gets out, man. He hides underneath a bus, man. And the thing is, the publicity miss event helped push the Sheik character into a more prominent role in professional wrestling. So without going over, he got over big time, man. Yeah, and gets the world champion. Yeah, and that's one of those. I I kind of think there's still guys who do this. I kind of think stalling to get heat is almost a lost art these days. Yeah, yeah. but uh, I think it was Billy Gunn said the longest he had ever stalled the start of a match was 16 minutes. <laughs> Could you fucking imagine sitting in that crowd? Oh my god, you know. But this yeah. is something you know. We're going to cover a couple of of his other stalling tactics coming up, but. You know, the Sheik knew how to be a character. He knew how to be yeah. the Sheik and how to piss you off. Yep. Um, yep. You got anything so, to say about Fez versus no, the Sheik? No, I was just going to say, man, that's at number 10. We got to see the world champion, you know, the NWA world champion and the Sheik. And the Sheik, uh, he just uh, other than it, it helped move him to a more prominent level by not even wrestling a guy. Yeah. You know, just from a publicity game. That's, that's, that's getting over, man. Oh, absolutely. Uh, the guy was smart about getting over. That's all I was going to say. Yeah. Uh, let's move on to number nine. All right. Number nine is the Sheik against Bruno. Yes. All right. Uh, that was back in the WWF days when they had major markets in the late sixties. Uh, this is when I first saw him on TV. It would have had it been 1968 or 69 uh, in Baltimore, Maryland. Uh, it was no floor model TV. I do remember that. And it was, uh, uh, I would say, color. And um, 
it was probably, you know, Capital Sports or uh, he, was, he was shot from, you know, Baltimore Civic Center or Madison Square Garden or maybe over to in Washington at the Cap Center. I don't think the Cap Center was around in late 60s. But anyway, um, I watched it with one of my aunts um, uh, that was a big sports fan. You know, we watched the Orioles and the, the Colts and the Skipjacks and the, the Bullets and stuff. But uh, I had both my grandmothers in Baltimore. At one time, my whole family lived there. And uh, both grandmothers were big wrestling fans. And I happened to be staying with one of my grandmothers and a couple aunts there. And uh, on TV on a Saturday morning, I saw the Sheik for the first time ever. That's the first name I ever knew in professional wrestling. And the second name I ever knew was Bobo Bazil because they was, they was having a feud, I guess, and uh, the black and white uh, it just you know made contrast, but now looking back at this, of course, with Bruno being the WWF star and and, and champion, it only makes sense that the Sheik would be wrestling him. So that's kind of a reference as to where um, I got to see the Sheik for the first time. Yeah, you know, at this point in wrestling history, I, I would have to say that all three when I when I say all three world champions, you need to know I'm talking about AWA, NWA, and WWWF. All three of their world champions were pretty legit. I mean, they yeah. all had claims to being the real world champion. Um, you know, especially Fez, though, because he unified so many titles into that NWA title. But Bruno was, I mean, in the Northeast, he was as big a star as you got. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, huge, huge, huge. Especially with that, what, they've done the ethnicity up there where he's a strongman Italian. Mm -hmm. And that just got over body Italian so much, man. And he had such a, a stronghold over that entire Northeast uh, corridor up there. Major Marcus, if you will. So, yeah. So, you know, the, the Sheik versus Bruno, I couldn't find any, any specific references for it myself. You know, I did do some looking around. I understand these were more brawls than traditional wrestling matches, of course. Mm-hmm. A little less pencil pokey than some of the Sheik's regular stuff. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah, that sounds about right. Um, I'm going to go ahead and tell you. So the next time I saw him, that was at about, like I said, we'll say 1969. That's the first time I got to see the Sheik on TV. And again, I, you know, just dropping some names. You could be uh, Bobo and Bruno and, and a couple more, you know, whoever. But uh, in about 19, the best I could date this, I spoke to my brother. It had to be around 1970. Probably 75 at the latest, but it might have been 74. By that time, we had moved to this uh, in Ashland, Kentucky, where we live at now. And he even recalled the building, uh, the store uh, on 21st and Winchester. The Army was on 25th and uh, Lexington. We lived on 27th and Winchester. He recalled the store on 21st and Winchester that he actually saw the poster for the sheep coming to town, man. And uh, they were going to be at the National Guard Armory. And... Um, that was one of the first live events we went to in the Ashland area. My little brother and I went over. Like I said, we was on 27th. The army was on 25th. And um, it was about five blocks uh, from Winchester to Lexington Avenue. So we, we had to walk about seven blocks total, um, which there's several shortcuts. We lived about 10 minutes from the armory, man. And that's a whole different story I've told before about going in and buying a wrestler's coffee as we got older, helping set up the ring and all that kind of stuff. But one of my first earliest memories of seeing the Sheik in person, man, was against um, uh, the mummy, uh, and, and they advertised it on TV. They had TV down this way, um, and the, they had uh, uh, it was Rip Rock, uh, Rip Rock, Rip Collins, and um, 
Chuck Conley, the Scotland Hillbillies, they was on the tail end of their careers, and they was they had a TV though, and they were still promoting wrestling. And uh, they the Sheik came in, and he wrestled a guy named the Mummy, who was wrapped up just like the Mummy. But this <laughs> Mummy here, the Sheik had his pencil. Um, now don't laugh here, Professor. I wrestled a Mummy or two down no, in Smoky Mountain wrestling. Well. Yeah, I know. But uh, this Mummy here though, he had like uh, once his. Uh, like I'll say his right hand because I'm right-handed. I uh, when it's, when the bandages came loose on his hand, there was a nail that was exposed, and everyone knew for sure. Man, a mummy. So basically, the match was a brawl between the sheik using his pencil and a mummy using his nail. And so we probably got about ten minutes of just you know blood and mayhem. And um, I don't think it was much of a wrestling match if I recall, but we get we did get to see the sheik in person. Um, and um, I to this day have no idea who the mummy was. Um, it's price one rip and Chuck were training or something like that. But, but when I, when I called my brother about it, asked him, it blew me away that he even knew the store. He said, it, it, it's a, um, Goodwill store. Now back then it was a, a fruit and vegetable store, um, on 21st of Winchester. He said, man, I was old enough to read. <laughs> he said, cause I saw the mummy. I knew the mummy, you know, and he goes, I saw that name to Sheik. I saw his picture. And so he'd come home, probably tell me about that after, basketball practice one day or something we had to get our butts over to the armory so we knew we had to sell some newspapers to get over there and, and watch some wrestling oh, yeah. such such fans you know um you know here i'm gonna i'm gonna venture a guess i think i probably know who the mummy was yeah uh just going off the stuff i've been finding out about every mass wrestler here recently i think it was probably kg muto okay <laughs> may have been yeah yeah may have been. um he didn't speak, so mm-hmm. <laughs> hell, it could have been Boris Koloff. I don't know. That could have been, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Well, let's go ahead and go to number eight, man, and uh, go ahead and count to ten. How's that? That's that's a good one. Um, so the, you know, the Sheik didn't really respect the rules of wrestling. I think would be <laughs> he, he was a bit of a rule breaker, you might even say. <laughs> Trim sitter and rule breaking. Yeah, um, he would get a chokehold and he'd just hold on to it. You know, the ref would start counting. You know, I'm sure everybody's grandmas whacked the shit out of their TV with their walking sticks when this happened. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Oh, but you know that. Oh, my my great grandmother would sit in this little little room in this tiny fucking building she lived in, and whack the shit out of this little black and white TV in the late seventies. <laughs> you peck his goddamn head and fucking hit the TV with her stick. <laughs> <laughs> well, we like I said, we mentioned that pencil, man, and I swear at times I think it was a nail and it could have been several other things, but when he exposed it, he was one of those guys um, that just exposed it just enough that he had a foreign mm-hmm. object uh, or an international object, if you will, you know, uh, but he had that, and the referee, you know, he worked to where he could turn put it in his trunks, work. I tell you, when I was in Canada for the first time, uh, no, my second time, I apologize, uh, I worked with the original Cuban assassin and uh, Angel. And, man, I'm telling you what, he was like the sheik like that. He worked a gimmick the entire time, and there's an art to that too, Jeremy, about how, you know, you can let the fan see it and pulling it out at the right time. Ring placement, that's an art to that, man, not just like pulling out a chain and hitting someone and getting caught or whatever. He would work the gimmick to where the gimmick never got exposed, you know, to the referee uh, to make the matches seem that much more legit. Oh, and yeah. Also, 
to get that much more heat on him, not the referee. You know, like I'm cheating. I'm blatantly cheating, but the referee can't see it, so it's not the referee's fault. And, you know, and um, the babyface knows something's going on. He's like, he's hitting me with something other than his damn fist, you know, or he's choking me with, with uh, tape around my neck. And I'll let you go ahead and introduce the next one. Uh, he has something other than a fi- uh, shit. I about gave it away. He has something other than some tape and a, and a pencil in his hand. What's that, Jeremy? He was known oh, for. He was known for throwing fireballs. Yes. Oh, I like that. Yeah, and the fireball was a, a gimmick that would be used. I, I don't know if anybody's using it now, but I know it was used well up until I was in my 20s at the very least. I used it in my first tour in Canada. Rotten oh, really? Ron Star. Yes, Rotten Ron Star, when he brought myself and Rico, Fred Rico, in there. Um, he asked me to bring some flash paper, and he labeled me as Blazing Bobby Blaze. Yeah. And uh, as we worked our way up, yeah, I worked with uh, uh, Soaring Eagle and uh, uh, Todd McPhee and, and uh, the, the Arcadian Giant, who's Robert, big Robert. from uh, He's an actor now. He's been on a couple movies with The Rocks, uh, with The Rock, rather. Um, he was, uh, what you call it in WWF? Uh, Cargan. Oh, okay, yeah, I, uh, I know the guy. Anyways, their rookie year, we worked with them, but as as Rico and I worked our way up through the show, we were working our way to the, because we were from the U.S., we were working our way up to the tag titles that the great Leo Burke had, along with uh, Stephen Pettipaw and a couple other people, and um, so I got to throw a fireball at Leo Burke and burn his beard, you know, ah. and uh, that set off some controversy, you know, um, then, it, you know, we did that for a couple weeks, uh, to where, you know, I went to throw a fireball and it, someone kicked my hands and it went in my face, you know, and just, oh. uh, it was, we really had some good, Ron, Ron um, was a good booker up there. He had been to Puerto Rico and Japan and Mexico. And of course, uh, Leo had been out in Calgary and Puerto Rico and Japan as well. And they just had a good little territory that they really protected. But there for several weeks, there was a questionable blazing Bobby Blaze if I threw a fireball or not. And uh, that was kind of an homage to uh, uh, two of my all-time favorites, the Sheik and Jerry the King Lawler. So but oh, yeah. Rockstar put the uh, idea in my head because he had that as an idea for the booking um, for, for several of the shows there. So No, that's that's pretty good. I mean, fun. Eddie Gilbert used to use the fireball. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it was kind of a time-honored tradition. You know, and it, it played right. You know, you you might accidentally blind the baby face. And, yeah, oh, yeah. Kick, yeah. kick, you know, kick it up in her hands, you know, throw that back flash on them, whatever. Yeah. Um, I, we was talking about VHS tapes. I doubt they even work now. The ones I was got underneath the house here somewhere. I have three tapes from up in Canada and on on a couple of those matches I am throwing a fireball. It's just not very good quality. And like I said, sitting underneath the house in a box for twenty five years, they probably uh, don't even work any longer. Uh that's because Jeremy and I was actually talking off the air about having VHS tapes uh uh in reference to something else. So yeah. um, anyway, um uh, I did do that for a while. Uh, probably four or five shows out of the you know four or five weeks at a time, you know, on the loop um, that we did. So it, it was really fun, interesting, and um, it was a nice little push, you know, for a young little, you know, guy out of Tampa just out of training out of wrestling school and trying to get a break in the world of professional wrestling. But um, so the Sheik used that pencil. He'd use that tape around a guy's neck, and he'd also throw that fireball, man, and burn you. So, mm-hmm. uh, and and uh, he'd, he'd hold the camel clutch when, you know, like say like the opponent got to the ropes. He'd stay yeah. on the clutch too. So. Yeah, so it didn't matter if the referee counted a 10 or not. And it didn't matter if he got DQ'd or not, because I'd say about 98% of his matches were ended by a by DQ one way or the other. Um, uh, was it always a double qualification, disqualification you think, or just a disqualification on the Sheik? 
Um, oh. I should take that back maybe. Maybe it's 90% uh, sheet getting disqualified and then, then, then about maybe 8% double disqualification. Yeah. So, uh, I don't know, the 2% hiding under the bus. <laughs> so... I don't know. Countouts, you know, countouts, yeah. uh, disqualifications, throwing the match out, no contests. Something tells me it didn't come down to a pinfall real often. Yeah, I bet you he didn't get pinned too many times. Yeah, yeah. I well, wonder if he pinned anyone. Uh, you know what? We're actually going to have to take a look at that at some point. <laughs> I'm curious, too, now we said that. But uh, let's move on to number seven, someone I mentioned a little bit earlier on here. His biggest feud and career-long conflict with Bobo Bazil in the big-time wrestling in Detroit. I'm going to let you go ahead and tell a little bit more about this, Jeremy, because uh, uh, Bobo is one of those early names, like I said, I mentioned earlier that I happened to come across when I was watching it way back as a kid. But I know you want to talk a little bit about this uh, this little uh feud they had for what 50 years <laughs> yeah for for longer than we've been alive <laughs> they, you know they had this going um so they often feuded over uh the sheik's u.s title um or what do they call it? the united states championship i believe it was there you know often selling out kobo hall we of course have talked about yeah. the kobo in the past um, it was mentioned in a movie that we may talk about here a little bit later. Right. They feuded all over the country, Memphis, Los Angeles, uh, you know, just everywhere. These guys just yeah. dogged each other. Uh, we were talking about was it Japan, right? Yep. Um, where they would, they would tour together until uh, Abby pulled something one time and <laughs> yeah. he got the spot. But yeah. yeah, these guys feuded all over the world. Yeah. Yeah. And I just want to tell you, um, on our on a YouTube channel that the late uh, Tex Johnson had put up for us, there's two videos, if you're out there, if you're interested, fans, listen, uh, on the regional heels. If we went for regional heels this week, I'm going to tell you, we had Gino as number one, mm -hmm. and then we had the Sheik as number two. But this week, we're going to say it's the Sheik as the greatest regional heel uh, because it could it, it's controversial on the finish. It was because Jeremy and I put uh, – uh, <laughs> who we put there, Tolly, at number one uh, for a reason on that particular show. But we've got a match there uh, from 1968 or 69 where the Sheik versus uh, Bobo. And then there's also um, uh, number 10, Bobby Blay's favorite matches, uh, text put up there. Bobo, if you look up Bobo versus the Sheik, both of those matches are up there on the YouTube at tinyurl.com BBBB video. So you can actually see some footage of. Bobo Bazil and um, the Sheik that uh, Tex did put up there for us. And, and again, it goes right along with what Jeremy and I are talking about today. We actually gave several reasons why we liked the Sheik uh, dur during one of those uh, promos, I'm not mistaken. Um, so uh, don't mean to overlap there, but uh, there is some footage out there if you'd like to see it. And it is fun, like we mentioned earlier on, during this reset research, we got to actually go back and watch some of these different uh, matches and um, things. But, yeah, Bobo was probably his lifelong – and I know they he kayfaved him in real life, right? Uh, did you hear that story? Um, um, I came across – They were never seen together? Yeah, I came across I came across mentions of it, but nothing – no, no yeah. particular yeah, incidents just, of anything. Yeah, he from, – from my understanding, he never spoke to him in public. And when she had those uh, – supposedly had, you know, meals for the boys at his house, I guess, at Christmas time and other things – they said that the baby faces ate in one room and the heels ate in the other room. You know, they didn't ever in public. 
uh, and that's a good, that's the way to keep your business, man. That's how the business survived for all those years, man. Mm-hmm. I think that's pretty cool because, uh, you know, here's a guy he didn't even speak to in public, uh, but here's a guy that also behind the scenes, he respected very, very much, uh, probably gave him some of the best payoffs ever, took care of his room and lodge. And, and like I said, had him into his home eating, you know, Christmas meals with him and stuff. So, um, that's a good way to do business, man, especially after you've been or setting them on fire or stabbing them with the pencil or, you know, just making money, man, you know. Yeah. Um, that's the way you do it. Speaking of money, won't you drop us a money spot here and tell us about Anchor? Well, let's uh, let's talk about our hosts here. And that's why we switched our hosting to Anchor FM. <laughs> man, you do that so smooth. I know, I know. <laughs> oh. uh, it's almost like you're trying to pry or something. Almost. Oh, well, number six. <laughs> I'm trying to pray over here. All right. We what are got, you getting at here, Professor? We, we got to talk about stalling a little bit more. Okay. So Thanks. so the Sheik would come out at the start, before the match started. He'd unroll a, a prayer rug, and he'd start praying towards Mecca. Hmm. Uh, and just, you know, and look, here's the thing. America, during the period of time he was doing this, were not a lot of Muslims who were out in the open Muslims in this country. It was still a very outside-the-norm kind of thing. So Mm -hmm. it got people pissed off, (laughs) really pissed off. Now, Bobby, what I did come across, I actually wasn't shocked because I actually happen to know this about a lot of Lebanese people, is that the Sheik was not a Muslim. He was a Maronite Christian. Yeah, I I read that as well. It's interesting to me. Yeah, which is part of the the, uh, Eastern Catholic Church. So he was he was playing a (laughs) he was playing a different ethnicity and a different religion than he actually was. And, yeah, because uh, he was Lebanese. Yes. So he's Le- he's Lebanese, right? His family is Lebanese. Correct? Yes, they were from. But he Lebanese. was an American, served in the United States mm-hmm. Army, and he's going to an Eastern Catholic Catholicism church, uh, portraying a Muslim. Portraying no? an Arab Muslim, yes. Okay, <laughs> let's get it all right here. Right? Yeah, yeah. Well, it's it's a lot to keep straight. Man. Now, now, see, here's here's a funny okay. thing. You can learn from television because I knew that almost half the Lebanese people were Christians because of Klinger on MASH. Oh, okay. Oh, <laughs> uh, that's that's Jamie the reason. Ford, yep. Toledo Mudhens. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. So he would come out there and just stall the start of the match with this, and, and you know, this on top of not breaking chokeholds, hiding under buses. This was just <laughs> using time to piss the crowd off. Um, yeah. I don't know. I mean, is he maybe one of the best at stalling ever? Is that kind of what I'm picking up from the things I've read here? Uh, you know, and here's the thing. That's for the whole match, too. His match may be, you know, a 10-minute or a 20- or a 30-minute match, but the bottom line was he wasn't doing anything uh, other than juicing or getting someone else juice for probably five to seven minutes of all that time. Yeah. That's the working part. So, yeah, he may have been stalling, you know, the other 7, 8, 12, 15, 25 minutes or whatever it was, man, to to uh, to keep the people on the edge of their seats, if you will, and to start yelling, you know, hey, he's got a he's got a, he's got something. He's got a pencil. You know, he's got he's got a he's using his uh, watch him. He threw a fireball, something, you know, yeah. he just knew how to do it, man. That, that's the showmanship. That's yep, the that, showmanship. That's it. Man. I mean, that's him. And people just... didn't walk out. You hear some of these comedians sometimes, they'll walk a crowd. 
they'll get some people, some people pissed off, you know, they'll get a comedian up there and someone goes against them and he'll just walk them. He'll walk them. It's called walking a crowd. And they'll just fucking walk them. All the other comedians hate the guy because he took the audience away. Yeah. But, but in wrestling, you know, instead of getting up and getting pissed off and walking out, like I'm not watching more of this bullshit because I know what he's going to do. He's going to stand there and stall or, you know, uh, walk away and, turn away from the referee and get out of the ring and break the count. No, they're turning back towards the ring, sitting on the edge of the seat or standing up yelling, you know, get back in there. And, and they're actually uh, involved in the match. They're not ready to walk out. They're ready to walk into the ring, if you will. Well, I was going to say that's kind of the beauty of wrestling. The drama hooks you in. So, yeah, the same gig, the same shit a comedian could do, and you're right, half the audience will get up and leave, and the guy closing yeah. the show is going to be like, what the fuck, man? Come on. Yeah. But in pro wrestling, you're waiting for this dude to get his ass beat. Absolutely. You're, you're going to stay there because he's got to get what's coming. He's going to get it. When, yeah, stick around. Yeah, when John stick Tolos around. yeah, when John Tolos gets out of here, he's going to fucking put a whooping on your ass. <laughs> you know stuff like that so that yeah. i mean that's probably a big part of keeping that crowd there was them going oh you son of a bitch you just wait until Vern Gagne gets out here you know yeah. and, uh, uh, i'm gonna say as far as uh getting the crowd involved in the heat and things like that i know bobby hena said uh he thought that sheik was the greatest heel of all time mm -hmm. and so uh you know you got a guy like that who we consider you know one of the greatest managers of all time if not the greatest manager of all time uh that you know worked around the sheik for years uh called him the, that that he knew how to work that crowd and the same thing uh, uh kevin sullivan in one of these interviews on the research said he scared him you know he 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 scared him in a way that he believed is real Solomon was older, not scared like, you know, scared of him, but but he would watch these matches uh, growing up in Boston, I guess, or, or where maybe first broke in. He was like, you know, the, the, there's something to it. There's something to it. But when a sheet come out, he's like, I believe him. I believe he's mm -hmm. real, you know. So that's another reason the people didn't just walk out because he's up there stalling. They're waiting to see him get his ass kicked, but he knew that showmanship, that stall, just the right amount of time, and then when to pull out the pencil fireball or when to climb underneath the ring or to go into the back um we're going to talk about that a little bit in, uh, in japan here in a minute um about uh sheik leaving the building and stuff like that the stall tactics but um in the meantime jeremy let's go on to number five here mm -hmm. uh, when it was also big time all yeah, right tell us about this well, I've wrestled so, for some big time oh I'm, I'm sure you have so i grew up i thought pro wrestling was called big time wrestling Matter of fact, I still often use the term big time wrestling, like when I'm talking to like, you know, my kids, I used it all the time. So here in the San Francisco territory, the show was big time wrestling. Well, Detroit was also big time wrestling. I believe one of Vern Gagne's shows was big time wrestling. I think there was a law in the 60s and 70s requiring wrestling shows to be called big time wrestling. Yep. I wrestled for Bobby Fulton, and his was big-time wrestling at one time for a long time when I first started with Bobby. And I've also had big-time championship wrestling, you know, a championship, big-time wrestling. But, but that big-time has to be in there, man, so you fucking know it's big-time, man. Yeah, I mean, uh, they, they put it right in the title. You didn't think yeah. you were watching little-time wrestling. <laughs> we're the, we're the big-time over here, baby. Yeah. Um, you know, so I his, like that, man. Yeah, his territory was the NWA Detroit Territory. Yeah. Um, let me see. I almost lost it there for a second, which was originally started by Harry Light, Jack Brighton, and Burt Ruby in 1945. Uh, Jim Barnett and Johnny Doyle took it over in 
1960, yeah, uh, and in 1964, uh, Francis Flusher and uh, the Sheik, you know, Ed Farhat took it over and ran okay. it until its demise in 1980. It was yeah, and mm-hmm. go ahead. I'm sorry. I was gonna say, and it was. I mean, well, just the fact that Barnett ran it, you know, it was hot at some point. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, I was going to say, when you told me that off the air about the uh, up to about 1980, the uh, the one and only time I saw Andre the Giant in person uh, was against the Sheik, and it was either 1978 or 79. And this is on one of those videos. If you want to go back and watch one of them, I, I'm talking about uh, the Sheik up there on, like, Greatest Regional Hero or something. But uh, I was about a sophomore in high school, and they had a TV show that come through. Apparently, it must have come out Charleston, or excuse me, uh, Columbus, Ohio, Cincinnati, maybe, uh, Huntington, Charleston area through there. Their, their Detroit TV, they must have had a deal, uh, you know, around that time because we got them coming through this area. And I got to go to the Huntington. My brother and I called a friend. We had an older guy that would take us to the matches sometime when they're that far away, which Huntington is 12 or 15 miles, not like it is now. But when you can't drive and you're 15 years old, you know, uh, but you want to go to the wrestling show uh, and you got a, you know, fellow wrestling fans, you know, you meet at the Ashland shows with local guys and you're like, you meet all these people. Oh, I like wrestling too. You know, of course, a lot of us played sports together and stuff, but mm-hmm. uh, this guy named Dale, he took my brother and myself. We went up there and we had a friend uh, who was actually uh, a couple years ahead of me in high school, uh, named Dave, and he ran the camera for us, like Channel 10, you know, CTV or whatever it was. It picked up his little local uh, public access, whatever it was that ran the Sheik's TV. But my brother and I and, and several other people in this area, of course, watched it because we were the hardcore fans, if you will. Yep. And um, the, they advertised Andre the Giant being up at the Civic Center, and he's going to wrestle the Sheik. And basically, uh, he come out through a crowd, Andre did, giving high fives, you know, just walking through the crowd. And by the time he got the ring, he got attacked. And, uh, you know, the Sheik, the, uh, he grabbed the microphone, and he already, you know, used the gimmick throughout the match, the uh, the, the, the pencil or whatever. And at the end, he was hitting Andre with the, the microphone. It was popping and, you know, kind of like, you know, like that right there mm-hmm. on Andre's, you know, back and head. And they're selling, of course, double DQ or DQ and a Sheik or whatever it was. They was in there probably 10 minutes. Uh, everyone was on her feet. Um, they used to block off half the six in her side. So there's probably, I'm going to estimate, you know, probably seven or 800 people. Maybe I doubt it was a thousand, but probably, you know, five to 700 people. And, um, we had a good time, man. We got our money's worth and got to go in the back. Uh, I told a little story. Dave took us in the back there. Andre was nowhere to be seen, but, um, the Sheik did, did, he was in the back. And of course he was completely in character, but they had a basketball goal on a forklift so you could raise it up like seven or eight feet or 10 foot regulation. And I've told this story before, uh, Jay Strongbow, we had it down real low where you could dunk and Jay Strongbow did a job for the basketball <laughs> text. did something on, on uh, YouTube about that. We had it real low one time and it didn't have a net. And when the ball came through, it hit Strongbow right in the nose and, uh, he walked away. But, uh, anyway, this time here, we were just kind of back or after the show, hanging out, <clears throat> waiting for a ride home. And, uh, of course, you know, we're back her Mark, and I hope to see it when we can. But she came through, and everyone just stopped. We knew, like, you know, this is not someone you, you know, you don't fuck with this cat right here. That's the sheep, man. Yeah. And we just, whoever had the ball stopped dribbling. And we just, this is a little area, not a big area, like a big ball court, just a small area of the back of the arena. And uh, when he came through after the matches, of course, 
in to get his gear and his grip or whatever. No one spoke to him. He didn't speak to us. He just gave us that look like, you know, uh, whatever. But, uh, yeah, so that's just a, a good wrestling memory. And that's why I tell people, Jeremy, I know we're talking big time here. So mm-hmm. anytime I, uh, when we're talking big time, man, that's why I tell people, uh, always remember the good times that professional wrestling brought to you, all the good memories it brought to you. You know, it could be something as simple as just, you know, playing basketball in a back in an arena and, and, and seeing a sheik, you know, after a match. You know what I'm saying? Now, don't get me wrong. He wasn't buddy-buddy. He wasn't five feet from us. He was more like, you know, halfway across the arena, just looked over and saw some kids playing basketball and thought, huh, whatever, you know. Yeah. But uh, we actually got to see him wrestle Andre the Giant that night. And uh, I, I said I was 15 years old, so, you know, I, I guess that'd be around uh, 78 or 79. Anyway, the big time with the Sheik ended 1980, but big time still lives on today because there is big time wrestling out there, folks, if you go out there and find it. Hopefully it's coming back with everything going on in the world. But, uh, man, you know, that's just – I got excited there. Just let the – Always remember the good times of pro wrestling, like your granny hitting that damn TV if that yep. cane in that building, man. Remember those good times, folks. That's uh, what it's all about. <laughs> um, yeah, that's that's the thing, you know. Uh, it's harder to do now with everybody, you know, everybody's in on it, I guess. But yeah. look, you know what? Somebody's gonna sucker us back in. There's gonna be, hope- yeah, there's gonna be somebody that we're gonna be like, man. These other guys are bullshit, but um, I'm pretty sure that guy just hurt that dude. <laughs> you know, yeah. we're something's gonna happen. Um, whether it's, you know, eventually an MMA company is going to go like, man, I'm tired of our guys getting fucking beat to the point where they can only fight every 90 days. <clears throat> so I did, I, I knew, I knew this little fact before we move on from the big time thing. Um, uh, you know, yeah. Detroit, it was the NWA Detroit territory of which there, you know, there were multiple NWA territories and at like my base level, I knew that this was the case, but I, I have been coming across where it's actually stated out now. Um, you know, Rock Rams wrote about it in when it was big time. Mm-hmm. So if you had an NWA territory, you recognized the world champion. But every territory had a right to their own world tag team champions and the United States champion. So every territory okay. could have their own world tag team champions, which I I figure I always figured there was only one world tag team champion at a time, right? Right. Yeah, that was not the case. Um, okay. and the, now the U S titles, I assumed everybody had their own cause you weren't going to hear about, you know, living here in Modesto. I wasn't going to hear about the U S champion from Nebraska. Right. That just, that just, that wasn't going to happen. Um, but yeah, so you got both, which I did not know that. Um, I think that's pretty cool. Yeah. So the original, uh, U S title, uh, U S champion in Detroit was Vern Gagne and the original world tag team champions were Chris and John Tolos. Nice. Yeah. Nice. That's good stuff, man. Good stuff. That's why you're the professor. Okay, let's move on to number four, okay? We're going to go across these here. We're going to talk about how the Sheik and Abdullah the Butcher turned to Funk's babyface. Start us off, and I'll add some more to it, because I went back and watched this match the other day, and I took notes. (laughs) Um, I took notes, man. Okay, so you're going to have to fill us in, because I just have, like, the top levels. Okay, you well, no, no I'll, I'll do the setup. Set yeah, I'll do the setup, and then you can yeah, do the do rest. Yeah, do the setup. That's what I was asking. Yeah, so yeah. it's the Sheik and Abdul the Butcher against Dory Funk Jr. and Terry Funk. Um, see, Terry had his arm in a sling, and Bobby, why don't you go ahead and tell us how this changed the trajectory of the Funks? 
So basically, what I watched it the other day, man, I, I got this from there's uh, All Japan from 1977. Um, man, it, it, if I'm not mistaken, this is probably the one of the matches that Terry said was one of his top three matches of all time. Uh, anyway, they're in the ring. Abby and Ashik are trying to get in the ring. It's just a bunch of fighting. I mean, it's just, it, it's crazy. Uh, the fans are going crazy. They're throwing the ribbons into the, you know, they're throwing the ribbons into the ring and stuff. Uh, the Sheik doesn't even get into the ring for the, forever. The thing I noticed though, Abby and the Sheik both had their horn to boots, man. This is when wrestling was wrestling, man. And the yeah. fact that Dory's out there, uh, actually, he actually arm drags one of the young boys at the end of the match. I mean, that's the only wrestling match. The only wrestling move I think they did, Dory arm dragged a young boy that's trying to help Terry out, <laughs> believe it or not. It's just, it's just crazy. But um, it's uh, the Sheik, you know, he goes to the, gets the gimmick. Uh, at the, about, about the 14 minute mark, man, it's just people are throwing the pillows, the ribbons, everything. I mean, it's, it's just when. Both everyone's introducing all four men are juicing. The Sheik is juicing. Abby might have stepped through the apron or through the ropes, but Sheik is on the on the apron out there actually juicing, man. Uh, before he even gets to the damn apron, I don't know if he got hit by a fan or or what it was, but just not the case. Because I have something else to say about that. But he's actually walking back through the fans and coming back out with with blood on him. I mean, he's already juicing for the day of matches start, but uh, the are loving it so much man every time they do something uh one of the funks do something to um the sheik or abby and if i gets down to uh terry does a spot or two with the sheik uh dory jr does a, a spot or two with abby and then it just comes down to a four-way again um and it, it's just it's just fucking pure chaos man but it but it but it makes sense it's a controlled chaos that's what i can tell you uh, uh, there's one also from 1981. You can go watch that one. The one I'm referencing is from 1977. Uh, it, it's just both, like I said, both guys juice immediately. <laughs> and it's just, um, it's just like when wrestling is wrestling and you can see the fans just like really getting into it, man. Uh, at the end, all the young boys come into the ring, like I said, in the bottom up, uh, by the end of it, they're raising the, the, the baby faces hands. And like you said, they, uh, it's, I'm going to say, let's see, I wrote, uh, what time was that? I'm not. Da, da, da. Okay, so within a few minutes, the reason Terry has his arm is in that sling. I don't. I don't know what the time limit is. Um, it might be the 14 minute mark, but it, again, I'm not sure. But anyway, they take Terry Funk's arm and they start digging that pencil in it, man. And I mean, they're grinding, and you see it. And Terry's left arm or right arm, take it back. He's left-handed. Uh, if you look at his right arm, the Sheik and Abby, every time they hold it out there, uh, man, they're just raking 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 right. and, and funk funk's got it so at the end of it by the end of it he's got it the young boys are out there spraying and and uh, uh taking tape and wrapping his arm up in a sling um anyway just go watch that's the best thing i can tell you they turn the funk's baby face in japan and um it's just a hell of a good match like i say you're not going to see a lot of a, a high flying you're not going to see a lot of uh actually you will see abby using the ropes uh he gets shot off and he can move believe it or not he takes a bump abby takes like a back elbow from dory jr uh goes down kicks out of a pin uh, uh Sheik actually takes a pin and kicks out of it of course um there's some wrestling to it so don't i'm not trying to deny you that that you know, privilege to see some wrestling it's just more of a damn brawl uh that uh, that, uh, that you'll see some wrestling in uh, go back and watch it. Hell, that's number four. Why we love the Sheik because he helped turn the Funk's baby face over in Japan, man. Yeah, and I, and I think you'll like. It. I really do.
Uh, any wrestling fan are like that. That's that's. I mean, so, that's wild. Because you know, yeah. the thing is, yeah, Terry Funk, like he's known for like the hardcore shit, but the Funks were wrestlers. They were a wrestling family. You know. Oh yeah. You yeah. know, and the fact that they could also just get in there and mix it up with this crazy ass shit, you know, forks and pencils and. Yeah. Know. Oh, they do. And it, oh, it shows Ab using the fork too. I'm gonna tell you that it shows them using the fork. And uh, we was talking off the air, just one thing here, a couple, a couple things real quickly. Uh, when Sheik's leaving that ring, I mean, there's people just scattered everywhere. Abby rolls out, people scattered everywhere. Uh, they roll back in, the fans come back to their seats. I mean, it's a very uh, it's a it's a controlled chaos, if you will. Uh, the camera is trying to follow what's going on in the ring, but you'll see Sheik leaving like right at the beginning, like I said, and all the fans go that way. But by the time he turns back around, they're back in their seats. I mean, it's just um, it's just really all out crazy controlled chaos. And I have to say this: what I got from it, from being one of the wrestlers or being in the wrestling business. I could see them guys controlling that crowd and knowing they were on that night. Now, none of them was smiling, believe me. None believe me. This was, this was, it looked to me like a serious athletic event. I, I wrote that down. It, you know, I put this, these guys are, this is the first two things you'll notice. This is what I wrote. These guys are professional. When you see their four faces and they're coming to the ring and it shows each of them, you can see they're professional. And as the match starts, I wrote, this is professional wrestling. And I wrote pro wrestling, of course. Yeah. Um, but I'm telling you, it, it's, it's one of those things you get excited about. If you can hear my voice, it's just one of those things to do it. But um, it, it, you can tell they was on that night. I would imagine at the end of that night, whoever paid for dinner or whoever took everyone out or whatever, man, I can imagine they would, they, they, they probably had them a couple of beers and they was probably just so high from that match. It was that good. You know, just that feeling. I don't mean drug induced or alcohol induced high. I'm just saying when they was having dinner and probably having a couple of beers or back to the hotel relaxing, they were probably so up there on cloud nine, man, because it was just such a professional, it was such a professional show. Uh, it's unreal professional match. And again, that's the one from 77. I'm sure just about any of them other ones. I think there's one from 81. I'm sure it'd be just as exciting, uh, if not more so. Yeah. But anyway. Bobby, what's that steakhouse that everybody raved about eating while you're at uh, in Japan? Do you remember the name? Riviera. Um, I'm drawing a blank. Yeah, I can't, I can't remember Look it either. Up. Uh, I can see the jackets, man. Yeah. Uh, Riviera Steakhouse. Uh, guys, don't kill me out there. Someone send it to me and tear my ass if you want to for not knowing. Um, I think it's uh, Riviera Steakhouse. Someone look it up before we get off the air or something. I don't well, know. Because I, I um, think it's I think it's funny because you can go watch like Japanese matches sometimes, and occasionally a guy will come out to the ring with that jacket. You know, that yeah. that to me is oh, like yeah. the funny part because they're basically just like, "Yep, <laughs> this is where we all eat tonight, guys." Um, yeah, I'm, they was a sponsor, I think. They honored to have the wrestlers on the shows there. Shit, um, ah, fuck. I'm gonna draw a blank one up, man. Um, I, I I'm, gonna, I'm gonna have to Google it now just to you look it up because Google it up here. Because I'm gonna tell you this. I'm gonna go ahead. Uh, I know what's number three, two, and one is. I'll go ahead and plug my book real quick while you're doing that. Okay, Ribera. So uh, this podcast, Ribera. Thank you. Shit. You were right. Anyway, this podcast is not brought to you by Ribera. I was saying Ribera. Ribera Steakhouse in Japan is brought to you by the books that I wrote. I'll sponsor the show today, Jeremy. How's that? Sounds fantastic uh, to me. 
then I'll let you talk about the innovator of violence, okay? Hell, I just about talked about all violence during that match. No, seriously, um, I got a couple books out there if you're a new listener. I'm going to tell you a couple shortcuts the way the professor set it up to get them. If you're an old listener, holidays are coming up. Um, you know, get one for a friend or a relative, uh, preferably someone over 18. They are adult oriented uh, in content that there's sex, rock and roll involved. Uh, my first book is called Pin Me, Pay Me, Have Boots Will Travel. If you go to tinyurl.com slash blazebook1, That'll take you right to the link there on Amazon. It won't cost you a dime more, and um, the program will get a little bit of kickback out of it. And like I like to say, I'll get a smile on my face, and hopefully the professor will get a little bit of money in his uh, Amazon affiliate account to help this program. So my second book called I Kicked Out on Two, The Educational Wrestler, once again, a professor has set up a shortcut. Just go to tinyurl.com slash blazebook2. That'll take you to I Kicked Out on Two. Uh, the Education Wrestler. Uh, both books have done quite well. Um, if you've already read one of the books or both the books, please be so kind as to leave me a review. All I ask for in a review or a review, uh, just be fair and honest. You know, that's all I ask. Uh, don't have to be a big five-page essay or anything. Uh, just leave me a nice review because that does help authors out, especially indie authors. And if you're out there and you saw you support if you support indie wrestling indie podcast, indie authors, any of those things. I always say it, Jeremy, you know, $5 won't break me, but it might help build up the other man. So if you got a chance to help, a, you know, another artist or someone out there doing a podcast or a wrestler, or in this case, uh, an author, you know, um, always help them out either by buying a piece of their merchandise or, um, you know, leaving a fair and honest review about them. Again, pin me, pay me, have booths with travel at tinyrail.com, blaze book one, or, I kicked out on two, the educational wrestler, uh, tinyurl.com, blaze book two. Jeremy, take over on the innovator of violence. All right. So number three, the innovator of violence. You know, you cannot hear about bloody wrestling matches without thinking about the chic. Um, I mean, just go, just go, uh, put it on YouTube. Just put in there the chic versus, and you're going to see a match where they are just soaked in blood by the end of it. Um, and that was the dude's style. Now, some people will say he was one of the, one of the guys who created hardcore wrestling. I know Abdullah the Butcher will say that he went further than the Sheik went, but here's the thing that the Sheik did that Abdullah didn't. The Sheik ran the Detroit territory and increased both its commercial appeal and its bloodbathiness at the same time. He actually took a territory and made it famous for being bloody and hardcore during a time when that was not normal by any stretch of the definition. Nice. Nice. And I think Abby only says it because he's trying to one-up the Sheik. That's well, the yeah. reason. Because he had to get it from the Sheik. Because he even admits that, you know, he first met the Sheik. Uh, he was kayfabed a little bit. So um, it might have been just his way of trying to get back at the Sheik. Oh, could but, be. Uh, yeah, yeah, he is, you know, innovator of violence, man. And uh, like I said, at a time when that was just, you know, unheard of. This is, you're talking way back before even con- the Tuvalu, Mississippi concession stand fight, you know, down in Memphis and, and, and that territory and stuff, man. But, uh, yeah, 
let's go to number two if you don't care, because uh, I found this real interesting. I knew part of it. Uh, why don't you tell us about number two? He trained the greatest of all time. I almost thought you might put two, trained two of the greatest of all time. So tell me a little about this, and then I'll blend on, on my mind. Oh, well, we must be talking about either Sabu or Rob Van Dam then, right? That's what I thought you were going to say. Yeah, and I would have I would have believed you. Okay. Yeah. But well, go on. I, but he did. But he also trained somebody else. He trained Muhammad Ali for his match against Antonio Inoki. Um, yeah, I did not know that, man. Yeah, that, uh, apparently so. See, there were a lot of big names involved in that match. It blows me away. Oh, yeah. Every time we go looking at it, Gotch was there. Yeah. LaBelle was there. I was going to say Gotch was there. LaBelle was, LaBelle's a damn referee. Yeah. I mean, every, like I said, every time we go to it, we learn something more about it. But I had no idea that the Sheik, you know, helped train Muhammad Ali for this uh, fight. Yeah. That's wild. It is, but also I guess when you when you really want to get down to it, Muhammad Ali was the greatest boxer of all time, I think you could say. But he was also the greatest showman in boxing ever. There I don't think yeah. there's even a close second. So yeah. I think probably you get a guy like the Sheik to kind of prep you for everything, you know, putting on a good show. Here's some shit to watch for. Here's some here's some like wrestler gimmicks and shit that could come up during a real a real bout because you got to remember Anoki. Yep. Anoki was a dude who felt professional wrestling, when applied realistically, was the strongest fighting style in the world. So Anoki right. is looking at any point, I'm sure, to get a hold of a boxer's ankle and break it. Yeah. And, and and look, you ever heard of Anoki not doing what was good for Antonio Anoki? <laughs> Has that, yeah, has that well, ever come well, up? Yeah. But yeah, so the well, Sheik well, Yeah, the Sheik was involved in uh, Muhammad Ali's training for that match. Yeah, yeah. I didn't know that and I thought that's interesting. But also, like you said, you mentioned he trained Sabu and Rob Van Dam and um I think what was it? In night March thirty first, two thousand seven, they got to repay the Sheik by introducing uh inducting the Sheik into the WWE Hall of Fame. Uh you know, here's the thing. Um there's probably, I say it's just about all these guys, uh, there's probably not a Hall of Fame in a world of professional wrestling that the Sheik should not be involved in. Right. He, he, his name should come up in some way in every Hall of Fame out there coming or going, man. Um, but I appreciate you digging up in facts, man. When you said train the greatest of all time, I, I looked at that like, what, huh? And then I I mean, I, I had an idea. Well, you're talking about Ali, but I didn't see it on there because I thought, oh, he's going to fuck with me and put Sabu and, and, and Rob Van Dam. And I tell you, nothing against those guys. They sure as hell had some good careers themselves, yep. man. So big shout out to both of them guys, man. Uh, but yeah, um, that's all right. And I sent in this at the top of the hour for number one, Jeremy. Yes. I had to put this in there, man. Um I like to hurt people. That's number one, man. <laughs> you want to tell us something about that, or you want me to? Well, you're gonna have to because I, I now okay. I have I have tried to watch this movie, but I haven't been able to. I can't find it online. I did find it on VHS yeah. for sale, but I am not a time traveler nor an archaeologist. I don't know what to do with a VHS <laughs> tape in this day and age. Um, I don't even know. Right. I don't even know if you got a VHS tape if they would still work. You know. So I haven't seen it. Now, I, I've heard about it yeah. by reputation. I'm sure I've heard, like, Cornette talk about it and all the other, you know, big names in wrestling who have podcasts. I am sure I've heard them bring it up, mention it, et cetera. Yeah. But I have never seen it. 
Well, I haven't seen it for a while, and I have it on VHS tape somewhere, probably in a box in our house, I'm telling you. Uh, Seems like I've got a lot of that stuff. But yeah. the movie's from like 1985, and uh, the Sheik, he wrecks havoc throughout the uh, sleaziest locales in American wrestling circuit. Uh, you know, he's maiming, he's mauling, living up to his life's cold. Um, but the, the people, because I like to hurt people, that's the Sheik, but the people have these signs, signs and they're going around, stop the Sheik, stop the Sheik. And he goes through all these wrestlers. I mean, Abby's in it, Andre's in it, Sky Lolo, Terry Funk, Dory Funk Jr., Dusty, the Bruiser. I could go on and on about who's in it. But um, anyway, <clears throat> the movie's just really good. Uh, <coughs> and, uh, when I say that, you got to be a wrestling fan and also fan of the wrestlers too. No, I actually found out that some of the footage is taken from the 70s because apparently they ran out of money during during the making of it. And, you know, again, it came out like 85. But uh, there, uh, Dusty Rhodes uses his, um, I've uh, di- winded down with kings and queens, you know. He used that line. Yep. Bunk's got a, 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 one of the lines there. Um, it, I'm not going to repeat his line right now, but, it, but what it leads to, it leads to uh, these damn promoters, you know, that book the Sheik every week, you know, and me and my brother have to, I alluded to it at the beginning of the, the podcast there. Uh, we have to come up here and fight him in his backyard in Detroit and stuff. It's just a lot of, um, it's just a wrestling movie when, when uh, wrestling was not so mainstream as it is now and pre-internet, of course. Um, just something if you're a young guy. Uh, you know, now as you're, I'm older guy, but just so I can still look back and appreciate it and enjoy it. Uh, but when it, when the time when it came out, it's one of those things like, oh man, a movie of wrestlers in it about wrestling. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, I won't give it an A or, you know, a 10 or whatever, but I'll say this is a pretty damn good movie. And if you ever do get a chance to watch it, um, I hope you're not disappointed. I hope you take it for what it is, you know, um, just enjoy the hell out of it. Uh, anyway, um, it's just pretty cool. Um, I just wanted to put it over, man. It just gives you a, a good memory, a good feeling, if you will. And um, I just want to end the show on that, Jeremy. I know you got some other notes here to finish up with, but but uh, I like to hurt people and uh, stop the sheik, stop the sheik. You know, that's just kind of what we'll go with. You can have your own reason to, to love the sheik as number one or your own reason to hate the sheik or whatever it is. But I hope... Uh, that the professor and myself, uh, through our notes and research, watching some different videos and films and things, uh, and brought you this podcast this week, that we brought some good memories. That's why I was going to say earlier when I said, remember all the good times that pro wrestling brings you. When I sign a book for an autograph for someone, nine times out of ten, I always put uh, life's best to you. But also nine times out of ten, I also put um, always remember the good times that pro wrestling brought you. So when, when someone says, you know, I saw that movie, I like to hurt people. Or, hey, Bobby, I want to see that movie, I like to hurt people. Or they bring up uh, Terry Funk and then the Sheik, you know, and those names. It's like it brings something out of you, man. Like your brother said, I remember the store I saw the wrestling poster in that, you know, that was coming to town that, that week or whatever it is. Yep. That, that's what you got to remember, folks. Um, that's just what I hope you got out of this podcast today. Finish it up there, Jeremy, before we sign off. And uh, I know you got to push, uh, push our uh, website one more time or Internet Access one, uh, site one more time, please. Yeah, well, before we do that, I just wanted to say yeah. that, you know, this was 1985, guys. This is when shit like Faces of Death was out, and we all believed it. We all believed what we were seeing right, in Faces right. of Death. 
So, you know, I like to hurt people was not a straight documentary. It was, uh, it was a fictionalized documentary. Worked. Yeah. Yeah. That's, it was a work documentary. There you go. That's, and the people that saw it were meant to believe it. And back then we believed this stuff because, you know, we were yeah. getting these VHS tapes that had, you know, real life murders on them, not realizing that that would be a, federal violation if you bought or rented that movie you know um yeah. but yeah so that was that's something that gets looked over there uh i did come across this thing you know uh, referencing the big time in uh the, as part of the name uh big time wrestling detroit went out of business in 1980 i don't know what happened in the late 70s but all these territories folded in 80 and 81 uh right here in this area roy shire ended up giving an interview on one of the tv stations blowing a hole through kayfabe. He admitted on the air to the newspaper, like, you know, just right out in the open that wrestling is fake. Bomb, bomb, bomb. That, you know, that may not have been his exact quote, but he, that's what he said out and out right in the interview when his company folded. So I don't know what was going on at the time, but something was. Um, you know, Bobby, I, we got all that. So let me just say one more time, guys, if you're looking for a VPN, Check out our friends at Private Internet Access. Go to URL, uh, the tinyurl.com slash blaze, P-I-A. That's Papa India Alpha. Uh, Bobby, anything to wrap up with? No, man. I'm just going to tell you. Uh, take care of yourself out there, man. Be kind to each other like I always say. But I'll tell you what. Take the time this week to go back and watch something uh, or read something pro wrestling related because if you heard the enthusiasm of my voice as a fan and as one of the boys and as a podcaster, the reason is because I'll change it from I like to hurt people to I like pro wrestling. Have a great week, people. All right, everybody. Thank you for listening. It is our pleasure as always to have you on board. For Tex Johnson, Bobby Blaze, and myself, Professor Jeremy Vilmer, bye-bye, everybody.